This week we will be joined by Ian Bain from MMA Opinion to take over co-hosting duties, as well as Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy and Ben Killaby Saunders, who's fighting at Bellator 100. All that and more on this week's episode of Sucker Radio. We are back for another episode of Sucker Radio, second show entitled Sucker Radio, um, first show with my new co-host, Ian Bain. Ian, thanks for doing this, man. I'm very, very excited. It sounds good. I eventually hear my name as a co-host and not a, a guest as I have been in the past. Heck, I don't even know if I should call you co-host, because I, I figure we're both the main hosts of the show. We're both doing hosting duties, so we're both hosts in, title, in, in together on this. Yeah. Well, we could just be called MMA extraordinaires Jeremy Brand and Ian Bain, if that sounds uh, a little bit better to the listeners. <laughs> I, I, I noticed you posted it on the MMA Opinion um, Facebook page, and it seems like a lot of people are actually very excited for this little partnership. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, today I, I posted, obviously today's episode and what we've got planned and i had people inboxing me asking me to send them a link when the episode's done so there's definitely some buzz around it and uh obviously we can't give too much away about what we've got planned coming up in the next few weeks or so but if, if everything comes off we've got some great shows to look ahead to that we do but let's let's talk about this show um we won't get to the guests yet let's go into some of the news that's gone down obviously the big news of the week was the Tough 19 announcement. And, and there's sort of mixed reviews about this, that BJ Penn will be back with the UFC, um, except for he'll be dropping down to 145 pounds. We know that he, he he's not the healthiest of guys when it comes to cutting weight and doing all that stuff. And he'll be taking on Frankie Edgar in a trilogy fight where he's lost the first two. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I'm, I'm a huge BJ Penn fan. And... <laughs> I'm really, really excited by this. I know a lot of people wanted him to come back, but they wanted him to be at lightweight. Um, and I would have been perfectly fine with that because, you know, as long as he's not fighting at welterweight, which, you know, back when he beat Matthews the first time, welterweight, the welterweights were quite small. But obviously the evolution of the sport, we've seen guys like Rory MacDonald, who he fought, who is nowhere near 170 pounds on fight night. So it's good, but even by these standards, I think BJ Penn's a very small lightweight when you look at guys like Benson Henderson and, and Graham Maynard. So I think 145 will be good, but it's just how motivated is he going to be to get down to that weight? Dana White says he's quite motivated. When I first heard the news, I actually thought, hey, wow, Frankie Edgar's moving back up to lightweight? Yeah, which, you know, would have been fine by me as well because... I actually think Frank Edgar's best weight class is lightweight. Um, yes, he gives up the size, but he's very, very quick, and it kind of cancels that out. And, you know, I've I seen a lot of people posting Frankie's going to finish BJ this time. I just can't see it on the back of the fact that Frankie 
was pretty much the first top 10 guy never to finish Charles Oliveira. You know, every, every time Charles has fought a top 10 guy in lightweight and featherweight in terms of Cub Swanson, he's been finished and, and Frankie couldn't get that job done. I, I completely agree. I think this could be BJ Penn's time um, with Frankie Edgar. He could he could come into this and and shock the world because he's he's at a new weight class. He's got something to prove, and and he was zero and two to begin with against Edgar. So so why not come out there with a bang? Oh, definitely. And you know, I've seen a lot of people, and I'm sure you have on Twitter and Facebook, and you know, people we've probably spoke to are who are just assuming this is going to be a walkthrough. Edgar winning, and you know that that's fine based on the second fight, but a lot of people seem to skip over the first fight and the fact that you know quite a lot of people actually thought BJ won that first fight in Abu Dhabi, and you know the second fight he definitely. I know people might say this is kind of an excuse, but he definitely was not himself. He wasn't pumped up before the fight. He just stood quietly in the cage. Um, I'm sure you've seen the famous little image of his corner rolling down his banner and hitting him in the ear and he doesn't know what it is he looked completely out of it so you know it depends what it, what's going to happen he could be well past his prime and and i'm sure that uh if he is past his prime frank edgar will be the one who probably knock him back into retirement <laughs> yeah that he will um well this past saturday night we had a couple of events um we had world series of fighting which we'll chat about in a few minutes but the big one on the night was the boxing match between Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Canelo Alvarez. Um, this fight was very interesting. Not not the fight itself. It was a great fight for Floyd Mayweather. He sort of put everything into perspective as to why he is the best in the world. But the fact that it was a majority decision. Yeah. You know, that that's... that's... <sighs> <laughs> Another problem. I mean, we see it in MMA, but the judging in boxing can be just as bad. Um... I think you, you'll agree with me. We saw that one. I think it was, was it last year with Manny Pacquiao and, and Bradley, how bad of a decision that was? And it was the same judge. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. But you know what you are saying there, why Floyd's the best in the world? I'm going to put my neck on the line and say I think Floyd's the best boxer of all time. Um, and I, I got into a discussion with someone earlier on, and they were saying, you know, people like Tyson had the finishing rate. And that's definitely something you've got to take into factor with uh, when you're looking at who you think's the best of all time. But, you know, Tyson had such a short window. A lot of other good fighters that people bring up had short windows of time, whereas Floyd, despite not getting the knockouts, you know, we, we all know the story about how bad his hands are. He's went and beat pretty much every style of boxing you can get. You know, aggressive guys, guys who are good at moving. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone with better stand-up defense than Floyd Mayweather, and I'm sure you'd probably agree with that. I completely agree with that. And he hasn't seemed to lo- lose his speed at all either. Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of weird, and we see it in MMA. There's uh, an idea that we talk about great strikers and and stuff like that, but that is a great striker. He might not be able to knee, he might not be able to kick like we see in MMA, but when it comes to the the sweet science of boxing, there the surely cannot be anyone better than that. No kidding. Now we heard um, during the fight, uh, one of the announcers say that Canelo might be. A little before his time to take this fight against Mayweather, he he just didn't seem like he was completely ready for it. Do you agree with that? Um, well, it's hard when you look at how big of a record Canelo had, and he wasn't beaten, and you know the, it's trying to find people for Floyd to actually fight. So it, it was always going to probably happen sooner rather than later for for Canelo. I think he's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. Um, 
And I know a lot of people were picking him. And, and obviously, you'll have seen on Twitter people like uh, the infamous Bloodstain Lane saying stuff like Canelo would win and, and stuff like that. He's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. And, you know, him having the Latino route and not necessarily looking Latino with that ginger hair, he's got quite a bit of marketability around him as well. Yeah, now Mayweather fought twice in one calendar year, which is the first time in quite a while for him. Uh, what do you think's next for Floyd? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, I think a, a lot of people are kind of suggesting Adrian Broner, which I think would be a great fight if they can get that actually done. I think we might see him take a step down in competition again because we know he got that Showtime contract. Um, but, you know, with Floyd, there's, there's no guessing. It, now, after beating Canelo, you might think he can finally get that Manny Pacquiao fight and and raise big money and do that. I, I just don't know. But I tell you what, he's made some good money this year, Jeremy. Yeah, he doesn't need the money. Um, let's move into the MMA side of things. Uh, on Saturday night as well, as I said, we had World Series of Fighting 5. Um, it's too bad the big news of the night wasn't the main event. The big news was uh, Elvis Mutapcic not fighting in the middleweight tournament that they had set up because... According to the commission, his corner man was giving him medicine in the dressing room, literally right as Jesse Taylor was walking out to the cage, supposedly. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm kind of speechless on this one because, you know, Jeremy, we've watched a lot of MMA events. Is there a more awkward MMA event than World Series of Fighting? It's, it's kind of like the, the network doesn't know what to do with them, and then they seem to have a lot of bad luck with crazy stuff that happens and when I heard this obviously it's a case that we probably haven't heard before in terms of pills and stuff like that. but anything with World Series of fighting going wrong doesn't really surprise me hell they had Ray Seppel fighting on a main card on the last event <laughs> yeah no kidding and we have Andre Arlovsky in the main event um, he is a tad past his prime I'd say personally however he did used to be a former UFC heavyweight champion he uh, finished a guy last night in Mike Kyle, who's a former light heavyweight. Um, I mean, yeah. come on, what's really next for this guy? Do we do we give him a shot moving forward, or, or do you think the World Series of Fighting is is going to make a heavyweight champion out of this guy? Well, probably not, because Anthony Johnson beat Andre, didn't they? So it's kind of uh, World Series of Fighting's best heavyweight is actually a light heavyweight who used to be a middleweight and then used to be a welterweight. So <laughs> it's. It's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm still not sold on how long World Series of Fighting are going to stick around for. Um, going up on on the day of Floyd Mayweather in the Canelo fight is suicide. Um, I just don't know. And and they seem to be putting far too much stock in in the Gracie name as well by how many of them were fighting yesterday. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, we'll talk some more about the upcoming fights and a look ahead at the week in front of us later on in the show. Um, but let's chat about who we've got on the show today. We've got a stack show for our first one with MMA Opinion. We figured we'd give you a doozy. Um, first, we'll be joined by Theo Rossi from the hit FX television show, Sons of Anarchy. Theo's a huge MMA fan, so we figured we'd chat with him about that. And uh, obviously, uh, some Sons of Anarchy stuff as well. And then we will be joined by Season 8 Welterweight tournament finalist Ben Killaby Saunders. This guy was a favorite on MMA Sucker Radio, so we figured we'd bring him over to Sucker Radio. And he's been waiting in the wings to finish this tournament off for quite some time. 
How about that show, Ian? That's a hell of a show. And, you know, Sons of Anarchy, in my opinion, if not the best, it's at least second best TV show on, on television there. I know a lot of people, when I was talking about the Sons of Anarchy on Twitter, were bringing up how The Walking Dead was better. And I think both are great, but... Uh, if you're a, if you're a manly man, there's there's nothing better than Sons of Anarchy. I think that's like comparing apples to oranges. Oh, oh, definitely. You know, a biker biker crew in some zombie apocalypse. You can't get any more two levels of extreme there. And then there's Game of Thrones as well. So my goodness, I actually have never watched Game of Thrones. I keep meaning to to get into it. Um, but not yet, not yet. There's too much TV to keep on top of. <laughs> well, before we get to our guests, I just want to play a clip. This past week, we had a chance to catch up with the UFC lightweight champion of the world, Anthony Pettis. He chats the championship. He talks future opponents. He was brought to town by Magnum Nutraceuticals. So let's play that clip, and then uh, we'll chat about what he spoke about after that. MMASucker.com, I'm Trevor Duick, and standing beside me is the champ, UFC lightweight champion. Congratulations, by the way, bro. So what brings you to Vancouver? I'm here with uh, Megan Nutrition. Um, we just got, we just signed in. We're doing a, a photo shoot for uh, a big show we have going on in Vegas pretty soon. So they flew me out. We're doing a photo shoot. We're here about to get ready for another photo shoot and uh, trying to get a workout in between. Awesome, man. That's cool. Well, before we talk about Magnum, I want to ask you, um, with your last performance against Benson Henderson, were you surprised to get the submission on him? A lot of people are talking the fact that, you know, you're a low-level jiu-jitsu belt, uh, you know, and, and you were still able to submit a guy that has been very tough to submit. Honestly, uh, I was a little surprised that it happened so fast. I mean, uh, I think the body kicks definitely hurt him. So uh, he doesn't he didn't really defend the way he usually does. But uh, I saw the opportunity, and I'm very good off my back. For me, belts doesn't matter when you're uh, going, you know, MMA. We're all high-level athletes. We all, I mean, it, so many factors play into your jiu-jitsu game and, and submission game. Me, I train with some of the best in the world. I, I, I bring my coaches in from Brazil. I have some awesome you know, guys I'm going against in the gym. And, I mean, none of us are really high-level black belts. We're all very low-level blue belts, purple belts, and, uh, in the gi. But you put on that no gi, it's a totally different story. So I think uh, guys kind of doubted my, my, uh, my ground skills after the Guido fight. And then the rest of them in stand-up, so you really can't tell how, how much good I got. So before this fight, I said it. I said, Anthony Pettis is so much better as a fighter, but the world's going to see it, and I think I pro- proved it. And it's been a crazy journey for you, right? I mean, here you, there you were in the WEC, Kenny UFC, you were, were going to get a title shot. That didn't happen, and then injuries happened, and it's just like all of a sudden, last minute, you know, you're, you're fighting Benson Henderson, you get a shot at the belt, you know, um, and there you have it. It's, it's like everything meant, was meant to be. Yeah, you know what? It was crazy how it happened. I mean, like you said, I mean, from the injuries, the Jose Aldo fight, um, TJ Grant getting hurt, there's so many factors played into that, to me getting that title shot. But, uh, you know, I mean, the whole time I believed I was the best lightweight in the world. I said it on my Twitter post. I mean, I always said it in interviews, but uh, now I got to prove it. I mean, I got the chance to prove it. It was in my hometown. Um, amazing story. It couldn't write a better story. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and honestly, it couldn't have happened to a better person because you've been patient, right? And you've done your time, and obviously you had all the bad luck, like you said. Um, now you got TJ Grant, who's waiting in the wings. Um, you know, he's a uh, similar thing happened to him, right, with the injury. Um, now there's talk that you guys are fighting in December. Is that is that finalized? Uh, not finalized, but very accurate. Somewhere around December we're looking at, and uh, I want to stay active. So a uh, little knee injury. I tore my uh, LCL, same thing I did to my right knee. I'll be out for like another two or three weeks, but uh, I'll be ready for December. I want to stay. I want to keep this thing going. I want to defend the belt three times a year. I want to I stay active. I mean, 
I'm 26 years old. I'm entering my prime, and I, I have, I'm the champ. So uh, I stay active. I keep going. Uh, there's no there's no no end of where I can be at. Do you feel that T.J. Grant deserves a shot? Definitely. T.J. Grant had the shot before I had the shot. You know, I fell for T.J. because the same thing happened to me. But uh, I mean, everything happens for a reason. I mean, I, I, I could have been the champ three years ago, but it happened now. I think uh, more mature as a fighter, more mature as a man outside of the cage, and my skill level is way higher than it was, you know, three years ago. Now that you got, you know, the belt around your waist, I mean, you got a target on your back. I mean, Nate Diaz signs a fight with Gray Mater and then goes on to Twitter and says, after that, I want, I want Anthony Pettis. Are you ready for that? You know what? I know everybody's going to call me out. Everybody wants their name relevant, and they're going to try using my success to do it. So uh, uh, whoever, whoever wants to fight, I already said I'm the best 155 in the world. I proved it. You know, I finished, I finished the guy who was beating the best in the world. He fought Melendez. They went to a draw. I destroyed Diaz. And, and I go and finish them in the first round. So I think I made a statement. I don't need to talk about any lightweights. They can come They can come find me. They know where I'm at. I'll have that belt waiting. Yeah, you deserve that. Now, you've been on this meteoric rise, right? I mean, now you're the champ. Everything is, you know, it's coming true. Everything's coming to fruition that probably that you visualize. How do you stay grounded now? Because, I mean, you're a superstar. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I have my little brother living with me. I have uh, Biggie Rhodes living with me, Mike Biggie Rhodes. I have Pascal Krause. I mean, these guys are where I was at four years ago, three years ago. They're hungry. They're, they have, they're not making a lot of money, and they're training every day. So I drive from that. I see their, their ambition and then how hard they're working. And I better be matching that or beating them because everybody wants to be where I'm at. So uh, I'm going to protect this spot, and I'm going to keep it for a long time. Something really cool happened. After you won the belt, uh, you went to a grave site uh, of your father, and uh, you, know, you dedicated that belt to him. Um, just explain to people I mean, how much that meant to you in that moment. Yeah, my dad, uh, you know, my dad was killed in a hospital at a young age. So, so when I lost my father, I lost my, my will to do, mixed mar to do martial arts. He uh, really started me doing martial arts. So losing him was hard in itself. And, uh, you know, I, my, my journey to the top, I was with my dad the whole time. Every fight I used to see my dad before the fight, pray to him. Never, I never asked him to let me win the fight. Just always let me perform at my best ability. And uh, I feel like he's out there with me. I feel like he's watching down on me. And uh, I, had to, I was in my hometown. So right after that little after party, boom, right to his gravesite. It was a amazing feeling, you know. I got to show them exactly what I did. Most, you know, all the other fighters get to hug their dad and you know say, "Hey, look what I did, pops." Me, I had to go show it to him that way, and uh, you know, I, I'm grateful for everything that he's done in my life. Now, any you mentioned Clay Guida earlier. Is there any guys in your past that you know you've lost to that you would like a revenge fight? I mean, now that you're champ, I understand you're not going to call anybody out. But is there guys at some point you want another shot at? You know, I lost to Bart Pelicheski early in my career. You know, I, I'm not sure where he's at in his career. I'm not sure if he's still fighting with the UFC or I don't move down a weight class. Clay Guida moved down a weight class, just got knocked out by Chad Mendez. So for me to call out, you know, them two guys, it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for, for myself in this position I'm at. So uh, there's a lot of bigger name fighters that I do want. I mean, Jose Aldo's definitely up there. Um, you know, the guys that are the best in the world, that's what I want. I mean, nothing personal against Jose Aldo. Everybody thinks we have a, a beef going on. I just want a spot. I mean, he's, he's top pound for pound, one, one of the best in the world, and he's so close to my weight class, I feel like I can make it and, and prove who's the best pound for pound lightweight featherhead out there. Now, BJ Penn and Frankie Edgar are supposed to be now the new coaches on the, uh, on the Tough House. Um, and you were actually talking about Jose Aldo. Um, is, is that a weight class you actually you know, want to eventually you know, get back down to and, and fight those guys? Or are you just happy at 155? Or do you see like a fight with Jose Aldo at 155, some sort of super fight? Not looking too far ahead, but is that something that's in the back of your head? I mean, I, honestly, I think the goal would be to get a catch weight, 150. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to tie two belts up. So champion versus champion. Um, I mean, it, it, one guy wins to have two belts. You can't defend both belts that many times. So it'll hold up all these divisions. So catch weight 150. Let's let's see who's you know, the best the best in the world at that weight class. And uh, it makes I think it makes more sense that way for the UFC also. I mean, the UFC don't want one guy being champion two divisions at the same time because like I said, it's gonna hold up two divisions. That's cool. You let your fan of super fights? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a fan of fighting, and I know fans want to see us fight. 
And uh, I want to know who's better. That's it. That's pure curiosity. I feel like I'm the best in the world, and I want to prove it. You're better than Jose Aldo? I believe I'm better than Jose Aldo. All right. Before we let you go here, just explain to people again. You're here to represent Magnum. You're doing a photo shoot and everything like that. Yeah. Just tell them a little, people a little bit about uh, Magnum supplements. Magnum Nutrition just picked me up before my last fight, and uh, I've got the pleasure to use some of their, their stuff from my last camp. Amazing products. I mean, uh, and the results you see... They're, they're, they're all, all their products are like pharmaceutical grade. I mean, it's like natural stuff. So it's, that's what I'm doing with my meals, but in, in a powder form. So I really like it that way. I mean, I don't have to worry about what my body's intaking. I don't feel jittery during my workouts. I feel like I can get through my workouts. So uh, awesome, awesome product. And I just met their crew, and they're amazing people, man. I mean, the, the owner of the, the company, I'm hanging out with him all day. He's a cool guy. Have so much in common. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great, a great relationship for years to come. You didn't bring the belt. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Duke is actually doing an appearance for me in Winnipeg. And uh, I don't want to bring both belts. He's bringing both of them. And uh, I'm traveling. I'm going from here to Winnipeg, from Winnipeg to Mexico, Mexico to Cleveland. So I don't want to have that with me the whole time. So Duke took it out for me, and uh, we'll be good. So through all this craziness, you're still able to find some time to train. Right now, man. Yeah, I mean, right now with the knee hurt, you can't really do any cardio or anything. But this is keep my muscles fired up and pumping. Um, I usually take a week to two weeks off. So this is this is about 11 days out, and I'm still, still trying to get a little workout in. Anthony Pettis here, the champ, UFC lightweight. Here at uh, Revolution Gym in Langley, B.C. is representing Magnum. Anthony, seriously, man, thanks. Really appreciate you doing it. Thanks. Now that was awesome. I, I, I couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that they were standing there with the champ. Out at Revolution Fight Team, there, we were waiting for him to show up. And there were all these crazy um, fans and stuff that were running towards him trying to get his autograph it it was just a crazy scene oh yeah definitely i, I don't think it, even as big fans of the sport we could probably grasp our head around the difference that happens from going from being a contender to being a champion because with it becomes a lot of fanfare and a lot of demand for attention as well yeah and and he is the champ uh we heard him talk about um, possibly wanting to fight Jose Aldo. Obviously, it would be at a catch weight. Um, are you still a fan of this fight? Uh, I am if Jose Aldo is going to come to lightweight. Um, if, if Aldo wants to remain at 145, I'm not really a, a fan of champions fighting champions. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the, the Penn-GSP fight, you know, the second one when they were both champions. So I think it would depend on Aldo moving up, and I think there's a good chance of that actually happening. Um he has talked about it quite a bit. And if we do get to see that Aldo Pettis fight, Jeremy, we're in for a hell of a treat. Uh, yeah, well, it's not one of those fights that's going to be uh, a lackluster. It's going to be as exciting as hell. I do, however, think that if, if Anthony Pettis wants to stick around at lightweight, um, I don't even think this kid has reached his full potential. I think that it's going to be quite a while before we see someone touch that belt. Oh, you, I, you know, I'm I'm on the fence because I think TJ Grant's ridiculously talented. I, I think um, lightweight's going through a, a kind of a, a change at the moment. The guys who are usually in the top five, you know, the likes of Gray Man or Nate Diaz are starting to fall apart. But it's it's kind of nice to see guys like TJ Grant, Rafael Dos Anjos, even a resurgent uh, Josh Thompson push back there. So there's plenty of challenges for him. Um, but I do agree. I think he's just kind of scraped the top of top of an iceberg to how talented he is. Well, enough of our banter. I guess we should start things off.
plays Juice Ortiz on my favorite TV show, Sons of Anarchy. They returned last week for the sixth season on the FX network. Please welcome back to the show a huge MMA fan, Theo Rossi. Theo, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you so much. It's always a huge pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. For sure. Now, before we get into the MMA talk, which obviously we're going to do, um, let's just talk about what you were up to between seasons. So the season started last week. Obviously, you were filming, um, but you obviously weren't filming the entire time you were off. So so what were you up to? Oh, man, we got a million things going on um, in the off season. I launched my production company uh, about a, a year ago, and now... We're starting to put all our projects into development. Um, we should be making an announcement this week on a film that we're shooting in February in New York. And then uh, we're in development on a TV show. We're doing a book. Uh, we got a million things going on. And then uh, I have my two charities, uh, my nonprofit, It's That and Strong, which was rebuilding New York over uh, the destruction of Sandy and just has basically morphed itself into a community uh, program and then uh, I'm an ambassador for the boot campaign for the military. So we've had tons of events for uh, raising money for wounded soldiers and returning soldiers and all different programs from that. And uh, and yeah, and a million other things. And uh, <laughs> and now and now sons. But that's that's just the top of the stuff. So you know, just exhausted and 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 loving every minute of it. Must be super cool to give back to the community like that, though. Uh, I've, I've said this publicly now a few times and I, and I will always stand by it. I think if you're in any position, I think if you're in any position in life, it doesn't matter where, but I especially think if you're in a position where you can reach more people than, uh, you know, some guy who's an accountant, you know, if you have the ability to reach more people and, and in this country and in most of the world, that's through entertainment or, uh, whether that be fighting or, you know, acting or singing or whatever, and you don't do it, um, I think that you're a jackass. And I think that, I think that you know, I just think you're an awful human being. Because, you know, the, the whole point of all this is, you know, we're all in this together. So it's like you got to help when you can. Exactly. Now let's move into Suns. Um, I said in the intro that last week was, was the premiere of the sixth season. Um, fans were digging it. Um, it sounded like it uh, premiered with the highest ratings in show history. Um, you yeah, guys were yeah. again a part yeah. of Comic-Con. Just explain what that whole experience is like. Well, you know, I mean, obviously our fans just, you know, uh, as I've said time and time again, the greatest fans in the world. They're not even fans. It's like we're this huge family. Um, they show up for us everywhere, all the time, no matter where we are. And, uh, and again, you know, for the season six premiere, we broke our own record. We broke every record. You know, the, the, I think we're, I, I think, I haven't done the research, but I think we're the first show ever to go up every single season that we're on the air. We just keep going up. Um, and uh, it's just a testament to the writing and to the cast and, and more, more importantly to our fans. They're super loyal, and we get a lot of new fans all the time. Comic-Con is one of my favorites. You know, I'm, I'm a complete comic, uh, geek. I, I'm constantly reading, uh, whenever I get a chance, if I ever get a chance, reading a new graphic novel or a new comic, I'm staring at, uh, what just got dropped in front of me was the untold tales of Punisher Mac. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, 
you know, so to go to Comic-Con and to be around that atmosphere, to be part of that atmosphere uh, is amazing. And also the fact that we're launching, uh, Boom Comics is launching uh, some dramatic graphic novel in uh, running kind of consecutively with the series this year. So we get to explore even more storylines of this world. Nice. Uh, you know, except, yeah, so it's really cool. It, the whole experience is pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Now, in the fifth season... Um, Juice was probably the most involved he's been in the show thus far. Um, we spoke with you mm-hmm. last season, sort of midway through the season, I guess, and you told us to expect more from him, and that we definitely did. Um, and uh, we, I read over at nerdcoremovement.com, which is Damon Martin's site, um, that we should be ready for a much different side of Juice this season. Uh, we saw in the first episode that you got pretty much the crap beaten out of you. Um, what, <laughs> why, why did you say that we should expect a different side from him without sort of giving anything away? Uh, you know, I think that uh, as everybody saw in that first episode, you know, Juice has finally kind of had to answer a little, you know, and he's starting to answer a little for for the things that he's done and, and the follies and the mistakes that he's made, where even though in his own heart, and it was shown again in that last scene with Chibs, he really felt like he was doing it all to protect his club and his family and, 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 you know, just the whole world. So with all the stuff that's weighing on this guy with, with, uh, with the, the being really instrumental in the involvement of play, you know, going to prison, uh, basically turning his back on him, uh, due to, you know, Jack's basically telling him if you want a pass for what you've done, and now to see Chibs, you know, get his basically aggression and, and to write his, to get himself feeling better by, you know, beating on Juice and, and getting his way back in. I think everything now uh, starts to really, you, all the stuff that's kind of happening to him, all the stuff that's gone on basically since season four when he found out you know, that the cop knew about his dad and he had this fear of losing his club. I think now you just start to see all the all that stuff kind of catch up with him and really which way, how is he going to become? And he has to adapt. His persona has to adapt because really being the, the sad, you know, emotional guy, being the, you know, the... the loyal guy, all that stuff, he's tried everything, and, and now we're just going to see him basically try something else, and uh, and it's it's really interesting to see. Kurt, Kurt uh, never surprises me with this character ever. <laughs> now, speaking of Kurt and the way the story is sort of written, um, this is a question I wanted to ask you before but never got into it. Um, since the season is so tight-lipped, every season actually, um, do you see the script prior to filming um, like episodes in advance, or are you are you just as surprised when you get to the set as everyone else? No, yeah, we get them. You know, we get we're lucky enough to get them uh, a week before. Kurtz always does a really good job of kind of keeping us all informed of what's to come. You know, never. You know, usually we always get kind of the broad strokes of what's going to come. It's never like you read something and you, and and it's totally out of nowhere. Um, you get usually the broad strokes of really big movements and then uh, a week before you get the script and you kind of, you know, prepare and, 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 uh, and, and know what's going on um, probably about, about a week before shooting. 
So you're kind of informed, but like I said, you know, what he does, and, and I don't know if there's really any other showrunners that do it, is before the season, you know, you talk and he kind of gives you an outline of where he sees the character going and what's going to happen and, 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 you know, what, what part you'll play that year in the overall arc of uh, the season. That's cool. Totally. Now, my co-host, Ian Bain, he's not on the line right now. Um, he, he's actually lost his internet at the moment, but he was wondering what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> he was wondering what it's like doing fight scenes on the show, because I know you train and, and, and you're into that kind of thing. And some of these fight scenes seem super brutal, like the last one where you got the crap yeah. beat out of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tommy, I think. Tommy's funny. Uh, Tommy and I have done this dance a few times. Um, you know, this is the first one that's kind of uh, uh, wound up on camera. We actually did a similar one in the finale last year, but we decided, uh, I should say Kirk decided that the premiere of this year was a better time to address the Chibs Juice thing. Um, you know, we have an amazing stuntman, uh, Eric Norris. Uh, we, you know, a lot of us have done, you know, kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, stage combat a lot. Um, it's a whole different thing. It's really like a dance. Um, and you really got to kind of just get the movements of what's going on. You know, Jack does more of it than anyone. Um, and it's, uh, it's really interesting. It's, it's completely different, obviously, than training. Uh, because you don't want to hit people. People do get hit, sadly, uh, you know, if, if everybody's not on the same page. Um, but it's a whole nother, it's really a whole nother uh, facet of acting in a way. It's just a whole nother thing because your first instinct is, like, like anything uh, in any type of fighting is, you know, to be more aggressive and to be whatever, and it's actually the opposite. You kind of got to... Uh, contain your aggression to make sure that everything flows the right way and how the camera angles are and all that. So it's, uh, it, it really does uh, for, if there was no more turn, it takes two to tango. Like you really yeah. have to both be on the same page. Wow. Well, let's move into some real fights. Let's talk some mixed martial arts. Um, since we've had you yeah. on the show, some titles have changed hands. Uh, a guy, oh a, a guy you're very familiar with Chris Weidman put out Anderson Silva for the middleweight title. How stoked were you for this? Pretty excited, man. You know, Chris is my boy. We actually, uh, you know, had text, like, it was pretty funny. We texted a couple hours before the fight. Uh, I was there live. I think I was one of the only people besides his wife and, and Kim Coates and a couple other people that actually thought he was going to win. Uh, I kind of had this feeling from when Chris came down to Staten Island to help out in one of the rebuilds of a house destroyed by Sandy that, I, I kind of knew he was going to win from the beginning. And the reason I, I only say that because there's something about Chris. It never bothered Chris that he was Anderson Silva. He never thought about it. You know, it was just a fight. And I think that when you fight these icons, obviously Anderson being the biggest icon in the sport, <clears throat> you get caught up, you know, Mike Tyson, you know, that was like when people fought Mike Tyson. You lost before you got in the ring. And I think that uh, Chris just went in knowing that if he, you know, got him to, it was funny, if he got him to the ground, he never had to do that. Um, but if he, you know, he was kind of, and I think that Anderson underestimated his striking. I think everybody did. Um, 
I just thought Chris kind of had a plan. It's similar to Pettis recently. I mean, uh, P- Pettis is my boy, and, and Ben's my boy, too. I, lo- I love Ben. Uh, I love them both. I, I like both those dudes a ton. Um, but Pettis, you know, Pettis came down and did some stuff for the charity as well uh, in New York. And he's super confident, man. And I don't know if there's anybody, maybe besides Demetrius Johnson, who's as athletic as Pettis is. He's super athletic. And uh, that fight was probably a bigger surprise to me. Not that it was a bigger surprise because he had beat Henderson, but the way he did it. Yeah. How it seemed that he beat him without really trying, which was which was kind of weird. Um, and I and I know Ben just got caught. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, all these guys now. I think a lot of these title holders uh, need to be nervous because it seems to be the year of. Like I was thinking tonight, uh, tomorrow night. Like even Mayweather is probably thinking that. Like you're seeing all these these icons lose. Like you know, John Jones should be nervous with Gustafson. I mean. I mean, GSP should be nervous with Johnny Hendricks, even though, you know, I think I, I think both of them are going to win <clears throat> pretty clearly. Uh, but you just never know, and I think that's why I love the sport so much. I know it's why you do, is because you never, ever know. There is no fight that you can clear-cut say, this is what's going to happen, because we've all been surprised so many times. So... So I think that that's why the sport has grown so tremendously uh, over the last couple of years, because I think that uh, other people are realizing with boxing, like a really, you know, or certain other sports, a really good guy could go in there and just kind of, you know, do his thing for a little while. Um, but with these guys, man, uh, it, it, it's it's just so great. And, and it's so great that I get to, to go to a lot of them, even though I won't be at one for a while. I'm hoping the next one I make, is the GSP fight because I think that's one of the best cards I've seen in in a while oh, yeah. that I can remember. That's yeah. one of the, yeah. For so. sure. Now I'll hit on I'll hit on a few of those points you brought up. Just first you said how Weidman you thought going into the fight he was gonna win because he just he didn't at the Anderson Silva stigma didn't phase him. Do you think the rematch will play out mm-hmm. the same way? Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean, it all depends on what Anderson comes out. You know, if Anderson plans on dancing and try to impress, you know, Roy Jones at ringside and Mike Tyson like he did last time, I think we'll have the same result. If Anderson comes out and fights the way everybody knows Anderson can, I I don't know. I still think Chris is I still think Chris is a is a terrible you know, it's a bad matchup for Anderson. I think Chris, I think, I think he wins either way. I know, I know for the sport, it would probably be great if Anderson won. Um, but I think Chris wins again. I, I, I mean, if I had to put money on it, I, I would say Chris wins again because I just think he's a bad matchup for Anderson. Because we saw the Chael, obviously, you know, Everybody says, get Anderson to the ground, get Anderson to the ground. And, and obviously, Chris can do that. But then on top of it, he proved that his striking is just as lethal. So, I don't know. I think, I think Chris is uh, I think he's a freak in the sport. And I think that he's super grounded, like super grounded, yeah. more than probably any fighter, more than any fighter I know. So, I think that he's just chilling, doing his thing. And, and I think he'll train just as hard. And I think that... Uh, 
I think it'll be the same result, or I hope it will. Yeah, for sure. Now, we spoke with Anthony Pettis uh, earlier this week. We He was here in Vancouver doing a photo shoot, and we had a chance to do a video interview with him. Another guy that's super grounded. Um, yeah. I don't even think this guy has reached his full potential yet. I think the lightweight division is in for some serious trouble. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, just to show what kind of man Pettis is, I mean, right after he won that title in his hometown, he goes and, you know, brings the bell to his father's, you know, gravestone and kind of takes a picture and tweets it out. I mean, I, I got to know him, you know, uh, uh, from hanging out a few times. And, and I just think that, I think you said it perfect. I don't think he's even come close to know how good he is because we didn't even see him bust out like much of the, his athleticism and I just thought that a lot of things that kind of went a few people talked about it but those leg kicks that he was hitting with I mean not the leg kicks I'm sorry the, the kicks he was hitting Ben to the body with Ben is Henderson's like one of the toughest people probably around and those kicks hurt him really really bad um, so we didn't even get to see what Pettis is capable of. I'd really be interested to see uh, Aldo Pettis because they're both so athletic. Yeah, and it sounds like we we asked him about that, and it sounds like he's definitely interested to still fight him, but they don't want to fight for for both titles up for grabs. Pettis would like to fight at a 150 right. catch weight to see who the best fighter is. I agree. I, I agree with that. Uh I think just to answer that question, because I, I, like I said, and I think you or anybody else would agree or at least have the argument, I don't know if there's two more athletic fighters, you know, than them. I mean, I always say, you know, Mighty Mouse is just like, I, I don't understand how people even think about hitting them so fast. But athleticism alone, Pettis and, and Naldo is pretty crazy. And styles make matchups. These two would be, I mean, yeah, sometimes, as Dana White said, the fight gets hyped up so much that it's going to be an awesome fight and, and it just doesn't deliver. There's no way a fight between yeah. um, Anthony Pettis and Jose Aldo that that fight doesn't deliver. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to sit around like some fighters have recently and just kind of feel each other out for three rounds. You know, I, they're not those type of guys. No. Now, did you happen to catch the first first and second episode of The Ultimate Fighter? So I just watched them last night, uh, you know, got home and really wanted to catch up because uh, it was starting to get annoying to avoid it in my Twitter at all <laughs> times. Um, and and uh, I, I mean, I just tweeted something about it now. I mean, besides, let's, let's get past the fact of how absolutely historic it is if you watch The Ultimate Fighter. It's unbelievable that, you know, it kind of just doesn't even get more press for how how historic it is that what's going on in there. But also I have not seen two coaches this involved, like usually one's super involved and one's not, you know, we got two coaches that really want to win and we got some, from what I'm seeing, you know, uh, some really talented fighters um, and, and already in the first, you know, the, the first episode of fights, we have a huge upset because I don't think anybody saw that coming. So, and there were even a couple of ups, uh, upsets in the in the uh, to get in the house. So I think I think it's going to be uh, a really great season. They just announced the coaches for the next one, which is great. Um, I love that show. I think Rhonda said it on the episode last, uh, well, that I watched last night or whenever it aired that 
even people who don't win, you always, you know, some make amazing careers, and then there's people who win who don't have any careers. It's just the fact of being on that is just such a huge thing, and it's been ever since the Griffin Bonner thing. It's just been such a huge part of uh, of not just UFC but MMA. So it's awesome to watch. I love the show. Yeah, <laughs> let's move to your show. Finally, before we let you go here, obviously you can't give anything away plot-wise, but we're one season away from the final one. And uh, if the show is following what many say to be the Hamlet timeline, then this season should move at an extremely fast pace. What can we expect from mm-hmm. season six? Absolute chaos. Like you, the, the premiere, you know, that was just, you know, the beginning. It's every episode uh, is, it's, we're, we're, we're at full, we're about to be at full throttle, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think every episode could have been a finale on any show. Um, and, and, uh, uh, without saying anything, I just think that it's, it's like, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of, you've been so invested in it for so many years and all that stuff, all that stuff that's been laid out, all that stuff that's been talked about, the mythology and, all this, you know, character building and all that. Well, now we start really kind of uh, bringing that all together, and uh, I think it's such a fan season. It's like there's so much. Like if you know Sons of Anarchy and you know the world and you know Charming and you know the club and you know the mythology behind all of this, this is such a satisfying season for everybody because we really get into that a lot. Let me ask you one last question then. What were your thoughts when you watched the episode um, with the little boy going into the, the school church at the end of the show? You know, I, I had super mixed feelings in the beginning. You know, um, my my thing has always been, I don't understand, you know, I don't really understand the whole uh, um the whole culture we live in that when, when things like this happen, you know, the news just hammers us with it all day, all night. I mean, it's, it's like, they don't let it go. It's, it's constant. It's constant. And any tragedy that occurs, we are constantly bombarded about it. I thought what Kurt did and he recently said was, this is a world that for six seasons, five seasons, we've been, the basis of this of this club has been gun running, you know. To think that something like this couldn't happen in that world is foolish because this is the culture they live in. And I thought it was uh, really ballsy and aware of him to do it, to show that if you're going to sit here and watch a show about guns and about gun dealing and gun running, that that things like this are possible in that world, just like things like that are possible in the world you and I live in. Um, and and it's, 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 uh, it's awful. It's the worst thing in the world. And I've been, you know, uh, like everybody else, uh, super affected by it. it. It makes you question kind of everything about, you know, the culture we live in and the violence. Uh, 
but I think that he really he made he made a point of just saying that you know this this is not just localized to you know this happens in their world too. So uh, you know it's it's it, it, it is what it is. I thought it was done tremendously. Uh, I, I just thought it was done in a way that that uh, made the point. For sure, yeah. It was both beautifully written and well executed in in the way that it was shot. I mean, you didn't see it played mm-hmm. out. You just knew what was happening. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he is Theo Rossi. He plays Juice on the FX hit show Sons of Anarchy. Theo, always a pleasure chatting with you, man. And just let fans know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those dudes. I try to, like, interact as much as possible with fans on Twitter, Twitter. so at Theo Rossi, and, uh, you know, through that, you find links to everything we're doing and everything I'm doing and anything to do with that. So, you know, on Twitter, ask some questions. Uh, if I get a second and I come up for air, I always try because I know – that without the fans, there is no, you know, everything in my life doesn't exist. So I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying as much as I can. So thank you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and, and, uh, let's see, uh, a lot of big fights coming up. Let's see what happens. No kidding. Almost 30 minutes with you here, Theo. I could have spent an hour at least chatting with you. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much. I think that's the third time I've had the pleasure of chatting with Theo Rossi uh, from Sons of Anarchy. It's it's always cool to chat with a guy who's not involved in the sport. Like, you know, he's not he's not a fighter. He's not um, a media guy. He's just a fan of fighting, and and it's really cool to chat with someone from that perspective. Oh, definitely. I'm still a little starstruck because. How cool is Theo Rossi to start off with? He's one of the coolest guys you could ever meet. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't as cool enough that he's in one of the best TV shows out there at the moment, he's also a huge MMA fan. And, and it definitely shone through, through when we were speaking to him there. Yeah, I mean, he's friends with uh, Chris Weidman. He talked about how he knew that he was going to beat Anderson Silva because he doesn't he doesn't get caught up in that big Anderson Silva stigma. Yeah, and uh, I definitely can't wait for that rematch because, you know, if Weidman does it again, we have to have Theo on again to gloat about how he knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, fans, if you're interested, Theo Rossi, obviously from Sons of Anarchy, check that out on the FX Network on Tuesday night's best show on TV. Um, with that, let's get right into our next interview with Ben Killaby Saunders right after this. Please welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests, the Killa B, Ben Saunders. Ben, thanks for joining us today, man. No, no problem, man. It's my pleasure. Now, busy week before the fight, you're packing. What's a bag for Killa B Saunders look like? Uh, pretty much all the clothes that I could possibly need, uh, everything that I could possibly need for my weight cut, um, you know, weigh-ins, obviously. And then, uh, you know, every day, moving around, relaxing, 
stuff, uh, sweatpants and crap like that. Uh, and then obviously my, my gear for, uh, you know, warm up and, and fight gear, you know, uh, I just need to make sure that I have everything because obviously you forget anything and you're already out, you know, at a hotel finding and being able to, uh, you know, scrounge up anything that, um, you know, you might want is, uh, not so simple. <laughs> Are you the kind of guy that brings his own food with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do like to, uh, bring, bring a lot of my own stuff. Um, you know, cause, well, you know, obviously in the past I've learned firsthand that, uh, you know, there's not always the greatest restaurants or the greatest, uh, food depending on where you are. So, uh, you know, coming in very prepared and at the same time, you never know what people are, you know, cooking with and, and really putting in your food. So, uh, but the last thing you really want is you put so much time into a training camp and then to have something stupid occur, you know, as simple, not simple, but uh, I mean, I guess simple when you, when you're talking food, everybody, you know, can assume there's food everywhere. What's the big deal? But, uh, you know, obviously staying, you know, clean with my diet and, uh, you know, giving my body what it's used to and, uh, what, what's normal for it, uh, you know, keeps everything in check. Definitely. Now you've earned, you earned your way to the Bellator season eight welterweight finals, and you were supposed to face Douglas Lima in a rematch at Bellator ninety three back in March. Unfortunately, um, you've been out of action for a few months now because Lima decided to go and get injured. Um, do you think this favored you, or or would you have rather the tournament ran through the way it was supposed to? No, I would definitely have preferred it to run through the exact way it was supposed to. That's what I prepped for. That's what mentally, physically, spiritually, you name it, man. I went into that camp with it all, you know, planned out and, uh, you know, prepared for everything, you know. Um, obviously, obstacles come into play, but, you know, the the biggest obstacle, I think, or, or biggest um, X factor would have been, you know, if injuries occur, would you be fighting, you know, someone you didn't even know uh, was even in the tournament as far as an alternate. But, um, you know, this is my third time, man. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, at this point, I, I feel I've had enough experience in the, in the past two tournaments to come into this third one uh, very well prepared with a lot of experience. And, um, you know, I had everything everything going very well. You know, my first two fights went very well. I was going, you know, I had no injuries, and, and the second one went very, very well, you know, ending in the first round. So, you know, going into, uh, you know, uh, another fight the next month was going to be freaking awesome, man. It, 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 everything, a lot of momentum going in my direction and, and my camp going perfectly. Um, you know, things happened. He broke his hand, and, uh, you know, that was uh, Bellator's call to um, – postpone the fight uh you know but i've broken my hand before <clears throat> in the past i've actually only broken it like hell man i think the last time i broke it i was 18 so you know it's it's definitely been a while i've learned uh I, you know the hard way you know when i was coming up i've broken it maybe three three or four times but um you know uh properly you know using hand wraps and training Training, you know, properly and taking into account all, all situations, uh, I've been fortunate enough to not, 
not have any more uh, breaks, you know, in in the hand situation. But in the past, I know, man, it takes three months probably minimum for something to heal. And then you're going to still need a, you know, you're still going to need like a, you know, one, two month training camp. So I knew it was going to be another five months. Uh, I was actually trying to get a fight in the meantime because I was like, damn, five months is a long layoff. Um, but they had it set for July 31st. And, uh, you know, uh, I just stayed in camp. I was preparing for that. And then, um, you know, leading into the July 31st one, he, he got another injury and, um, they postponed it again to what, you know, uh, originally I think they were saying September 7th or something like that. And, uh, uh, at that point, they did say that they were going to give, you know, they were like, hey, if you still want to fight on the card for July 31st, you know, you can. But in, in my head, I'm like, well, you guys are saying that I'm probably going to fight September 7th, July 31st. So basically you're saying I'll be taking this fight and then in the month having to fight the biggest fight against Douglas Lima. And let's be real, that's not intelligent. You know, and, and the amount of money that you're getting paid for a tournament, you know, championship fight, the whole $100,000 approach or whatever. I mean, obviously, that was not going to be part of the deal for someone else on the 31st. So, you know, also taking, you know, four fights in the tournament, uh, which pretty much, you know, it just it, it was just not going to be an intelligent approach to take a fight a month before the biggest fight of my life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, never, you never you never know what that could happen, man. I say it all the time in tournament format. I could go out there, everything goes my way. I throw a kick, I knock the dude out, but I break my foot, or even you know, injure or tweak something. And then, and then what, man? And then I'm going into the real fight that really matters. You know, not a hundred percent, and you know, or or not at all, or then what? You know, what? Is, what is it going to get postponed to December? That just no, we weren't going to do that. Uh, it was just another month, so we were like, all right, whatever. But it ended up being not September seventh, and ended up being September twentieth, and uh, you know, whatever, man. It is what it is. Uh, I believe everything happens for a reason. I would have definitely, you know, preferred it to be in March. But yeah, whatever. I'm I'm definitely very very well prepared. You know, seven month camp. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just for this Lima fight. So, you know, uh, I, I'm ready to go out there. I'm, I I just can't wait for this damn tournament to be over, and uh, for me to get that check. Does it add more fuel to the fire? The fact that you've had to wait so long. Yeah, a little bit, man. It was a little frustrating, and it definitely adds a little bit more. Uh, you know, fire, I guess. Uh, but let's be real. He's going to come in very confident because of how the first fight, you know, happened. And because of how the first fight happened, I'm coming in very motivated. So uh, it's going to be a clash of motivation versus confidence. And um, we'll see who wins, man. What'd you learn from that first fight? I mean, it it it, it definitely didn't go your way. I, I didn't expect it to go that way. I thought that you, you would have control in almost every aspect with Lima, but it, it, it didn't go that way um, during that fight. So how has that made you progress over the past couple of years? Uh, man, nobody likes to lose. And so like all in all, you know, you learn a lot from a loss. My biggest thing that I learned from it was clearly, you know, don't lose my focus. You know, I felt I was winning the fight. 
obviously I've watched the fight, you know, numerous times, uh, you know, to see, you know, make sure that I don't make the same mistakes. And, uh, I'm sure he's been watching the fight numerous times, you know, to, uh, to play out in our heads what it felt like while we were in there. Um, but you know, only anybody can go look at the tape. I was fucking stupid, man. I jump in. My feet aren't even under me. That's the biggest issue, man. My feet are not even under me. I jump in with terrible footwork, trying to go for a big right hook knockout. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he did, uh, a perfect counter with the timing and threw a big, big overhand right. And, uh, you know, uh, he connected. I believe my, my left hand was up, but it wasn't, you know, completely, uh, protecting my, my temple or, or whatever, you know, uh, my, my left side of my face. And I, I, I just gotta, I, I gotta take that as it is, man. It was a great learning experience in the sense of, you know, knowing that, you know, uh, don't be stupid. Don't give anything up, you know, and, uh, as long as I, as long as I go out there and I stay focused and, and I, I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what, I know he knows what he's capable of doing. Um, there's no doubt in my mind where the two best welterweights that, you know, in my personal opinion that Bellator has with Askren being, you know, kind of a free agent right now, we are, this is kind of like an unofficial title fight, if you will. And, um, like I said, man, I'm sure he's confident, but I'm very, very motivated and uh, it's just going to be a little tip for tap, man. <laughs> Every dog has his day, man. I'm going to come in there. I'm ready to scrap. That that led me right into my next question because a victory over Lima does sort of put you in an awkward position. You would win the tournament, which is great, but the champ Askren is without a Bellator contract right now and uncertain of whether he's actually going to re-sign with the organization. Has there been any talk about that and, and what would happen if he doesn't end up re-signing with the organization? I mean, honestly, I, I could care less, man. He can resign. He could not resign. Asking really is not even on my mind. Um, you know, my my focus 100% is on uh, on Lima. Even if Askren was on the roster, man. Even if he was still, you know, still had fights on his contract, and there was no dispute or any issues of him wanting to go or staying or anything like that, uh, I wouldn't even care about that. That doesn't even matter right now because uh, that opportunity and and any any conversation that deals with Askren is irrelevant right now. My focus one hundred percent is uh, is on is on Lima. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't necessarily mean talk about you fighting him. I just mean talk about ha- has there been talk about what would happen with the winner of this tournament. If there is no champion, uh, no. I mean, I mean, I, I would assume it would just be the same way. They would just go with it the same they probably always did. Um, I, I guess what you're saying is, let's say Askren doesn't resign or he waits out, whatever he has to wait out. I'd assume in the meantime they would probably just be like, okay, winner of this won the tournament, they get a title shot, and considering there's a tournament going on the same night of us fighting. They'd probably just be like, okay, well, uh, winner of that tournament fights the winner of me and Lima for a title. You yeah. know, I, I'd assume. I, no one said anything to me. There's been no talk uh, of any of that. Um, you know, I'm not in the insider 
loop when it comes to any of uh, any of that talk. But you know, just coming you know, as a fan of the sport, as someone that is intelligent and knowledgeable in what seems to be occurring, uh, I would say that's probably what they would do. I mean, I I don't see them being like, oh, okay, winner, blah, 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 asking left. All right, we'll give you the belt. I mean, that'd be cool, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that'd be great. But, uh, you know, who who knows if they would do that? Um, You know, I'm sure they would want to fight or something like that anyways. You know, the only way they would, uh, they would have had to come to me or Lima and be like, oh, okay, well, since she's on the sidelines, we're going to make this – um, an interim title or something like that, you know, but no one said nothing to us. So, you know, we, we are looking at it as it is. And that's just, uh, you know, uh, a championship tournament final fight. Now let's move away from your fight. I recently saw a post on the UG simply entitled Ben Saunders. And it, it was a dude who thought you should have never been released from the UFC and that you should still be there. Um, we've obviously gone over your release before and how unjust it was. You're you're in Bellator now. You're thinking about Bellator and Douglas Lima. But does that ever go through your, the back of your mind anymore? No. No, really not at all. And to be honest, man, I don't remember ever, ever. I mean, I know a lot of people have said it, but I've never considered it unjust. I mean, it is what it is. I think a lot of people, you know, consider, hey, man, he stepped up to fight number two in the world on 48 hours notice. You know, they, while, you know, you should have hold that against them. But it is what it is. I still had two losses in a row, man. Um, it still was what it was. And and to be honest, it, it, it was how the two losses happened that the cut even occurred. You know, it, it wasn't like Joe Silva was like, yeah, you suck, man. You really need to work on your whole game. And, uh you know, if you do, you know, maybe, maybe it'll come back. It was just straight up. It was, uh, look, man, the, the, the welterweight division is overrun, overrun with, uh, elite wrestlers. And, uh, you know, until you get your wrestling and your takedown defense, you know, you know, up to par, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to let you go. Just, just work on that aspect of your game, you know, get, get a few wins, one or two wins and, uh, and come back. And, um, you know, and that was my plan that, that, that was what, uh, I originally had envisioned once the cut happened, it fucking sparked something, man. It, it made me, I, I literally was, you know, took a month just paying for privates of pure wrestling. I got my game up as far as, you know, all the fundamentals and everything necessary for MMA takedown defense and cage work and you name it. And, uh, you know, getting back to my feet and stuff like that. I obviously worked on my jiu-jitsu game extensively in case the takedown does occur. I want to be deadly off my back. You know, I, w- I want people to fear going there. And, uh, you know, my stand has always been, uh, a good, a good, um, spot that, uh, that I felt very strong at. And that's not something they, you know, the UFC ever questioned or ever said anything about. Um, so really it was just, you know, it, it did a great job, uh, you know, sparking that, uh, that fire in me to just improve by leaps and bounds because the evolution of the sport is just hitting a new level. You know, if you're not evolving very quickly, you're going to be left behind. Uh, unfortunately finances come into play and, uh, you know, uh, I had an opportunity to potentially make money, um, you know, and uh, I did what I had to do. 
So yeah, you're obviously yeah you signed with Bellator. You're obviously more than two fights out from from what you said getting back into the UFC. Does that does, does do you ever want to get back there? Honestly, man, I, I've grown up so much that I, I don't even care at this point, man. At, at this point, my my number one goal is fuck. I signed with Bellator because I thought the tournament format was fucking hardcore. Um, before literally I, I can't even dude, I probably had like five fights fall through before I signed with Bellator. I was trying to get like, you know, certain fights outside, um, and make some money and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't think I was like that scary of an opponent or anything like that. And I don't know what was going on. Uh, I think my, you know, my manager at the time also might not have been doing the, you know, the correct, <laughs> the correct things or something, but uh, one of the major ones that I was about to do, and this has nothing to do with anybody, any fighter pulling out, was I was going to do, uh, I don't know if you remember Shine Fights, yep. but they had they brought the old school fucking three or four fights in one night tournament back, and I was gung-ho about it, man. They were about to do a welterweight one. I think it was going to be the third or the fourth show, and uh, I was so for it, man. Just the experience just to be like i've done that i've tried that because that's old school man i'm old school as far as a fan 10 years old the first ufc that's what got me hooked and uh when the sport evolved obviously when it got taken off pay-per-view and then to get it brought back and not seen as human cockfighting obviously tournament format was gone you know multiple fights in one night were gone and uh it was a really rare thing to kind of jump into but uh, when the shine fights kind of fell through, I was like, fuck, another payday gone, another opportunity slipped away. Um, you know, I'm broke. I got to make something happen. And, uh, you know, Bellator had the next best thing, three fights in three months. All right, it ain't three fights in one night. But fuck, man, that's the next mo- most hard- hardcore thing I could think of. Uh, and-, and that's really why I joined up with Bellator is because I was really intrigued by that format to uh, – test myself man to to really give give it a shot and uh also you know legacy wise man for my name for my family i want to be able to tell my kids you know when i get older that look what look what your dad did man that shit ain't a joke you know uh and um you know i I failed at it twice and this was my third time to charm and uh that's all i care about right now man i care about i signed up with bellator for one reason and that was to to win that damn tournament, and uh, and that's all my focus is right now, man. That's all I care about is I need to win this tournament. Uh, for me, <laughs> I really do. Two more questions before we let you go here, Ben. Let's get away from MMA. Um, I heard from you last night. We were gonna do the interview yesterday, um, but then you ended up turning around and and telling me that you were about to watch The Great Gatsby. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts on the movie, and would you recommend it to our listeners? Yeah, man. I actually, uh, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't see the original. It's a remake of uh, an old movie, apparently, and um, uh, it, it was it was very interesting, man, and uh, and very artistic in how they did the entire movie. Because uh, they also mixed in, it was like modern music. Every time they did, like uh, like they would have a lot of Jay Z and Kanye West, uh, 
music and stuff playing, but it was like still set in old school times, old school dancing and uh obviously outfits and everything like that. But uh no, I would definitely recommend man, um you know, it, it's not it's not an action movie by by any means, but uh it's a definitely uh interesting story and uh how I was entertained. Now, finally, before we get let you go, sort of on the same theme as that, um, we had Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy also on this episode. Um, just tell us what TV shows you're into right now. Uh, right now, I'm, ca- I'm actually catching up on Breaking Bad on Netflix. Um, you know, I've he- heard so much stuff about it. And to be honest, I watched like the first four or five episodes uh, back, you know, probably like a year ago or something like that. I was trying to get into it because everybody was raving about it. But like the last, or the first, it was like, uh, I stopped watching it. Cause like the, the two to three episodes that I was like, the final episodes that I started watching were so slow and talking and drawn out. I was like, I don't know what the hell anyone's talking about, man. This is boring as hell, man. This is sucks. And so I stopped, uh, but then, you know, everyone keeps raving about it and raving about it. So we went back to it. I actually jumped ahead maybe like three more episodes uh, past what we were watching. Because I'm, hell, man, I think we just started season two now. But that was season one. And they're on like season probably like seven or something, something crazy, I'm See, sure, right it's, now. It's season so, five uh, right now. And, and, and it's literally. It's on the TV? Last, yeah, and it's the last season. So, like, we have two more episodes until oh, the, the okay. show is over. Okay, there we go. There we go. So, yeah, like, you know, uh, I'm on season two right now. It definitely picked up. It's definitely fucking hilarious and awesome and interesting, and uh, I'm definitely hooked. Uh, before that, I was uh, Game of Thrones, man. That shit was fucking... <laughs> that shit is fucking insane, man. <laughs> Anybody that hasn't seen Game of Thrones, that's a crazy, crazy-ass show. He is Ben Saunders. He's taking on Douglas Lima in the Season 8 Welterweight Tournament Final this Friday night, September 20th, from Phoenix, Arizona. Ben, thanks for joining us, man, and just let everyone know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Yeah, no, uh, thank you. Anybody that wants to hit me up, man, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Ben Saunders MMA, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash the real Ben Saunders. Uh, I literally run it all myself, man. I try my best to uh, communicate with all the fans and uh, and reply and uh, <laughs> be social with all you guys. Like you know, I've said it in the past, man. I'm a huge fan of the sport first, and uh, you know, the competitor side, you know, came later. And I've you know, I, I I've had the fortunate uh, you know experience of when I was younger, being able to talk to people like Dean Thomas and various people online. And it was like one of the coolest experiences of my life, especially being, you know, trying to get into the game and come up. So, uh, so, you know, I, I try to return the favor and, uh, you know, communicate with all you guys. I want to thank uh, you guys for having me on the show. And uh, I would also like to thank my sponsors, man. Future legend being the main one. I want to thank havoc, uh, serious pimp, um, Nutrition Arsenal, uh, TSM Studios, uh, Seventh Design, uh, Perfecting Athletes, um, On It Nutrition, uh, and uh, I'm sure there's others, but I apologize. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, waste everybody's time just trying to think them 
think I'm over. But uh, once again, man, thank you guys for having me on. All the best, Ben. Good luck uh, at Bellator 100. And as you said, third time's a charm. <laughs> That's the plan, brother. That's the plan. Take her easy, buddy. Take care. Ben Killaby Saunders, as I said earlier in the show, he's been on MMA Sucker Radio quite some time. Uh, bring him over to Sucker Radio, and this guy is in for a treat. We are in for a treat, actually, when he steps inside the cage this Friday night at Bellator 100 against Douglas Lima. The first time didn't go his way. Hopefully this one does. Oh, uh, yeah, and he, he does have a good chance, but... You know, whoever wins that fight, it's going to be great for either of them because I'm a big fan of Ben Saunders, but I'm also a big fan of Douglas Lima because he's a, a very talented fighter. And, you know, on a little side note of Douglas Lima, it looks like we might get to see his brother on uh, that tough 19 we are talking about earlier on. Interesting, interesting. Now, the, the, the thing that I asked Ben Saunders, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the winner of this fight because the champ, Ben Askren, might not even be in the picture anymore. Yeah, and that's the, that's the key thing that I think the journalists who are actually in attendance at Bellator on uh, Friday need to ask Bjorn about because the longer this, this Askren thing drags on, uh, the longer it might take for the winner of this fight to actually get a fight in. Um, and that's never a good thing. And I think that's the one criticism I, I think that we probably both have of Bellator is that guys like Schlemenko and stuff like that don't get enough fights a year. Um, Despite how exciting the tournament format is, uh, it's just not good enough in terms of the champions for getting them fights. Yeah, as for this uh, Lima-Saunders matchup and Bellator 100, there isn't a hell of a lot else on the card. It is the the welterweight tournament opening round, so we see guys like War Machine, um, Louis Mello, those kind of guys fighting on the card. But other than that, it's it's not all that exciting. Yeah, it seems like Bellator's kind of going out on a, a whimper until they get to this pay-per-view that they've planned. Um, you would have thought that they would have maybe built an even bigger card for their 100th event, but uh, you know they've probably put most of their budget just paying uh, Tito and Rampage for that pay-per-view. <laughs> exactly, but we are in for a treat. Bellator 100 on Friday night. We're in for a treat on Saturday night. We have UFC 165. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this. This is, uh, I, you know, the main event's excellent, but I'm even more excited for the co-main event. I think Henan Barrow and Eddie Wineland has all the makings of being a fantastic fight. I'm excited about the one that's kicking off the pay-per-view. Uh, we had Pat Healy on the show last week taking on Khabib Nurmagomedov. That fight is going to be fireworks too, I think. Oh, yeah, and congratulations for getting that surname correct because <laughs> I was hoping that I wasn't going to have to say that. But that's a fantastic fight. And Pat Healy's going through kind of a, a career resurgence over the last couple of years and very, very excited to see if he can be the one to to give uh, Habib his first loss. Yeah, the, the featured fight on the FX portion or the Fox Sports 1 portion of the card, I got that one mistaken for what it used to be. Um, Miles Jury versus Mike Ricci. Jury still undefeated. Uh, Mike Ricci coming in off the show, that TriStar fighter fighting uh, in front of his home of Canada. Uh, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, it's a, it's a very well matched, and I'm one of those guys who thinks Miles Jury is probably one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. He goes for it, and he's not scared to try submissions and. Uh, Mike Ritchie, he's kind of the Rory MacDonald of that weight class because 
he is good, but for some reason people want to hate him. And um, <laughs> I think a lot of people, and, and probably myself included, will be hoping that Miles Dewey can pull off a submission in that fight. <laughs> Anything else on this card that excites you? Um, you know, well, you know, it's, it is a solid card, and I, I think we both know this with pay-per-views that it's very rare that you're going to get two title fights on there. I mean, we've got a heavyweight fight on that card with Mitrione and Brendan Shaw, which is quite interesting. I think both of them are in a, a compelling place in terms of the heavyweight division. A, a loss five, a guy really, you're probably looking at that they could be possibly cut with how they've performed. So it is a good card. And I, I think, you know, next week's show, we're going to have some great fights to probably recap. Yeah, let's talk about one more on, on the main card, the one that we haven't spoken about yet, the Francis Carmont versus Costa Filippo. Um, Carmont is a guy who came into the UFC um, with a name behind him because because he was so well known in Canada. Um, he's undefeated in the UFC. He's on something like a ten fight winning streak, but his last two fights have been very very controversial. Especially the one two fights ago against Tom Lawler. Um, I I was actually pretty pissed off when I heard that Francis Carmont won that fight. Even though I am Canadian, I, I was very upset about that. I think Costa Filippo sort of, yes, he's been off for quite some time, but I think he's going to be the toughest test that Carmont's faced. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I got to uh, meet Carmont in February uh, when the UFC came to London, and he is huge uh, for a middleweight. He's very, very big. And, and, you know, Costa's another guy who's big for middleweight. So I'm hoping that it's not going to be another case of Carmont trying to pin him up against the cage. Um but I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for him to do that because, you know, we've seen Costa fight. He's, he's got excellent takedown defense. He's very hard to take down. And, you know, his stand-up is pretty stellar. Um, but I, I'm interested to see because he has left the the long-time camp that he was with, you know, with Chris Weidman and, and Ray Longo and Matt Serra. And I think that might be because Costa's looking at that a potential title fight might be down the line for him. So interesting to see what he does from his new gym. Yeah, for sure. Let's move away from that a little bit. Um, a few fight announcements were released this past week, um, one of which that I find interesting is going down in Australia, Mauricio Shogun Hua versus James Tahuna. What are they doing with Shogun? Do you think they're sort of like, I mean, yeah, Tahuna is, is big, he's good, Shogun is a legend, so so it's a fight that makes sense, but I think they're feeding him to the wolves in this one. Yeah, it's a, it is one of those. I was left scratching my, my head at the announcement. I think, um, like we were talking about before, with the lightweight division going through a, a bit of a change, light heavyweight's the same. You know, we've seen Leona Machida has now dropped down to middleweight. Shogun's pretty much done as a top 10 light heavyweight. You know, he's on his way out of there after being pretty much top five for his whole career there. So I think he should beat James Tahuna to be fed. Um, but. <laughs> his landslide of, of uh, losses in his last five fights or so. And, you know, the only guy he did beat was Brandon Vera. And he didn't, you know, dominate Brandon Vera like we've seen with a lot of guys do to Brandon recently. So, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that the UFC are trying to make Shogun consider a 185 drop because I think that might be all that's left for him, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. Um, there were plenty of fight announcements this past week. We're not going to go over all of them, but... Were there any other ones that excited you that you that you heard of that you're just chomping at the bit to see? Yes, definitely. And that's that Uriah Faber, Michael McDonald one for the, the Fox card in December. I'm a huge Michael McDonald fan. I think that 
kid could potentially be when it's all said and done career-wise one of the all-time greats because I always thought of him just as a stand-up fighter but that last fight with Brad Pickett showed that he has a very good ground game as well and you know for his age uh, he actually did pretty good against Henan Barrow, just outmatched on the ground at that stage in his career. I think if he can beat Uriah Faber, and I think he has a good chance to, then that's going to be the catalyst for you know a very exciting career for Mayday. Everyone knows that I'm a big, big, big Uriah Faber fan. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for him in this fight, but at the same time, I'm not because we all know how he does in non-title fights. That is true, uh, but. You know, we, we've seen with Bantamweight, it's such a stop-start division. Don't be surprised if they add another interim title for this fight. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Now, with that, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's thank our guests. We had Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy on the show. Thanks to him uh, for joining us. We also had Ben Killaby Saunders. Good luck to him this Friday night at Bellator 100 against Douglas Lima. Thank you to you, Ian Bain. Just pimp, oh. pimp, pimp your site. We are now featured not only on MMASucker.com, but also on MMAopinion.co.uk. And Jeremy, I'm really excited, and this is going to be just the start of something huge between us, no doubt. I cannot agree more. Um, enough of us. We're out. Come on, guys, let's brainstorm this puppy. We're going to put the coffee in the pot, and we're going to let it percolate. I think it'll be helpful to explore what apps have been most popular. Go, in the go backwards or go forwards. Oh, and we could bin it, you know? Fall out. We categorize needle movers by type of user. All right, guys, I don't want to kill the momentum or the mojo that you have cooking, but to be fair with you, needles and categories, they don't use apps. People use apps. So I have an idea. Nowadays, people are taking pictures, right? They have their phones now. They're out. Something catches their eye. They want to take it, but then the photo's just sitting there. What if they take that photo and instantaneously put it out there on the line and they share it with their friends? That's Instagram. It already exists. It's one of the most popular apps in the world. Facebook bought them for like a billion dollars. Oh, no, no, no. Mine is very different than that. How is there something very different than that? Because on mine, you're taking the photo instantaneously. You're putting the photo out there on the line. Is it online? Yeah, I'm putting my photos out on the line and I'm creating an exchange. Yeah, that's Instagram. But mine's more of a social sharing on the line that's happening. Online. Quick interjection. When you keep saying on the line, you do mean online. Stuart, you don't do that to a man. He's got a million dollar idea right here. Billion dollar idea. Even better, let him flow. Okay, that's all fine, but he's talking about something already invented.